0: Podcast world with Shake and Chad Belding back at you with another exciting episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. I'm so humbled by the success of the podcast and the forward momentum that we have going right now. We couldn't do it without our listeners, our fans, our followers, and... Um, I think we had a built-in audience with The Fowl Life and we continue to gain other audience members with the diversity and guests and uh, again thank you so much today's episode again is brought to you by the 2019 North American Whitetail Championships, NAWTC.com get signed up for your chance to qualify and win be qualified to win that $50,000 cash prize when you do sign up for $300 you're going to get a prize package already valued at more than that with a Tacticam a Gator Cooler Tumbler Cup Peep Sites bo- uh, broad everything to accessorize your bow it's an all archery all the time tournament north american whitetail championships brought to you in 2019 by michael waddell's bone collector again all archery you have until october 30th to sign up october 30th 2019 join them at nawtc.com find out all the rules all the regulations let's stay ethical let's stay safe let's keep archery whitetail deer hunting at the forefront of the american hunting culture i'm so excited to be involved with steve schmidt clint walker wicked outfitters in the great state of kansas and again tell them chad building the banded foul life crew set you get uh set up and and join them at nawtc.com good luck to everybody out there i hope we know the winner and uh hopefully we get to sit down with him on the podcast one day and see what it feels like to be awarded the 2019 North American Whitetail Championships. Thank y'all so much for the support. Today's episode is also brought to you by Jargon Game Calls, out of the great state of Arkansas, made by duck hunters, craftsmen, and dreamers. They have three models on the market right now: the Small Talk, the Icebreaker, and the Loudmouth. They're going to introduce a short barrel. They're introducing a cutdown call, and they're introducing a competition call in 2019-2020. They're excited about the 2019-20 duck season. And um, guys, if you do anything, go on and check out the website. Listen to the audio file listen to the video files of the jargon call line they are uh, pretty much taking the call world by storm they're being talked about a lot they have a different design as far as the tone board and the gut system goes we're very proud of it we're proud to be partnered with them jargongamecalls.com thank you so much for your support and last but not least today's episode is brought to you by our fine friends down there in monroe louisiana mojo outdoors mr terry dem and mike morgan chuck smart mr marty bailey they've been supporting us for over 10 years now we couldn't be more proud they are the best spinning wing decoy they have created more memories in duck hunting than any other company i would venture to say in the last 20 years since they came into existence in 1999 they have created so many powerful memories for duck hunters new experienced duck hunters females males if you've been under mallard ducks as they work a mojo in a dry cornfield or a pea field up in canada or over your favorite water hole there's nothing else like it in hunting i'm so excited to be partnered with mojo we uh we were just awarded another deal with them and mr terry thank you so much for all the support you are a trailblazer you're a mentor you're a leader in our industry and i'm so happy and humbled to call you a friend thank you mojo outdoors guys check them out at mojooutdoors.com check out the new king mallard in the new elite series we use them daily from the battery packs to the quietness of the wing beat and the speed of the wing spin Ducks can't resist it. From teal in early September to mallards in late January, Mojo gets it done for us on a daily basis, no matter where we're chasing the migration at. Mojo Outdoors, thank you so much. So today I'm back in the studio with Mr. Chris Sifrio, co-founder, my partner at Jargon Game Calls. This dude is a master machinist. He is so outside of the box. He is so creative, so innovative when it comes to making game calls. These are his babies. They are his brainchilds. Jargon Game Calls, I hope you all enjoy it. Chris, appreciate you having you in the studio. Can't wait to do it some more and I I honestly cannot wait to get in that boat and get in some timber hole with you this fall so guys Chris Cifrio jargon game calls this life ain't for everybody thank you very much had you ever heard of prairie wings before we got down there
1: yeah I'd been told about prairie wings there's a bunch of guys basically around Arkansas that have been there experienced it and told me about how great it is it's uh from what they tell me you know it was world-class hunting in that huge flocks of mallards. They raft a bunch of birds in there. Uh, that's just world-class hunting.
0: What were you thinking when you pulled into that place? Was it what you thought it would be, or the old lodge and, and, and the camaraderie, the campfire, the deck, was it pretty cool?
1: It's actually not what I thought it would be. It was much better. Uh, when I pulled in, coming down that berm road, and the timber was flooded on each side of the road, that just really made me get into the spirit of getting there and, and
0: getting into the hunt. And what were you thinking when you saw, you know, like Brandon welcoming us with open arms and all the different people, Joel and, and, and Todd Ross and the guys, a pretty cool collective of people?
1: The main thing with those guys is, is that they're, I found out that although they're, they do different lines of work or, uh, you know, maybe live a different lifestyle than we do, that they just want me and you. They're exactly the same, you know, as me and you. They're a hunter. They're out there for the same purpose as we are. They love to hunt.
0: And what do you think about Mr. Billy's cooking?
1: I mean, just off the hook. I mean, his cooking. You know, how how awesome is it to be able to go out, hunt, come back in, and breakfast be waiting for you. And his cooking is just unbelievable. I Son mean, he cooking. cooked that that uh, deer on that night and smothered
0: deer steak. Smothered deer. Steak. I think it's cool how you wake up, you walk outside, you get in the boat, and the boat ramp that's connected to the you know, the boat dock is connected to the lodge. You go a quarter of a mile, anywhere from a quarter mile to a mile and a half, Hunch your hole, see the, the mesmerizing power that mallard ducks will allow you to see on that given day. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, but you get back in the boat, you come back, you see that lodge from 200 yards out, you can see the smoke coming out of the chimney and you can almost smell the bacon from that oh, far out. Can. <laughs> and the closer you get, your mouth starts watering and the whole collective of that whole deal, from the time you pull on, to pull onto the property to the hunt and the experiences, and then the breakfasts and the lunches and the dinners, and then the campfire and the nightlife and the camaraderie, the guitars, the music, the different people that we've had at that camp—from Drake White to Leith Lofton to Zach Brown to you to military to you know, Mr. Admiral, Mr. Admiral Joe McGuire—he's a four-star general and four, a four-star admiral in the United States Navy. We've had Tom Arthur who was a Purple Heart recipient in Vietnam. Just the therapy that it provides, the memories that it provides, the stories that it provides, you get to go down there. You've lived in Arkansas the last 20 years and you're mesmerized by it. You've seen it all when it comes to ducks coming into timber, but when you're in a place like Prairie Wings, you're just like, man, I never want to leave this place.
1: Oh, it was amazing. It really was. You know, just like you said, I think the biggest thing, everything's set up. Everything's perfectly set up. boat ramp's right there where you walk in, you go into the mud room, you put your t- take your waders off, and then you walk straight into the kitchen and, and breakfast is waiting for Getting you. that you know? line. So, I
0: mean. But how did it make you feel though when you're in those trees and it's time, it's go time, you know, you start seeing this the light come, it's a bluebird sky, we felt the, you know, the crispness in the air, the, you know, just, it was really crisp, it was brisk air, it was cold, and it just felt ducky. And they had been killing ducks at Prairie Wings. Oh yeah. But this was different for us because now, we're using our calls we're using the jargon calls we got the loud mouse and the small talks on our lanyards tell me a little bit you know like the jargon name the jargon brand and where what you've seen with it so far how exciting was it to you know get into the woods and actually see them perform and 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 be able to utilize your creation
1: well that was actually the first time we actually had to put them to the test really i mean you know uh we had started Kind of, We got into it a little late as far as, and what I say by late is, is that we got the brand, started building the brand, wanted to get our tone board dialed in. We wanted it to be consistent and perfected. And that's the biggest thing with the Jorgen brand is, is going into it, is we wanted a call that was consistent. Was We were putting out consistent parts for a consistent sound. That the guy, the guy that's going to a retail store to pick up a call is not walking in there trying to pick out the color, I mean, the, the, the actual call that sounds the best for him. He's picking out the color or the design or the short barrel, or the long barrel, whatever it is. He's picking out that kind he likes and not having to blow every single call and figure out which one he likes as far as in the sound. Because they're all going to hold a consistent sound.
0: And that's what you, your whole plan was, was the tolerances and the, the precise measurements, everything about the call, the way you designed the mouthpiece the way you design the insert, the way that it feels in your your on-call hand, the way that the mouthpiece feels, it feels like it will never fall off of your lips. And that's important because when you start to get wore out later in the season, you might be, uh, you might have several hunt days in a row where you gotta utilize the call a lot. You want your lips to be comfortable on there. And there's a lot of calls out there that you would assume would be, but they're not. And you just, your lips start to ache. They start to fall off of it. Air starts to leak out of the corners of your mouth. And that destroys the pitch and the tone in a duck call. So, you know, you're out there now and you have this call in your hands that you've spent, you know, a year designing. You've had this call for a long time. You've come up with this gut system. You've come up with this tone board. And like what you're saying, as far as the consistency of these calls, you have the ability for somebody to pick up a small talk in Louisiana, a small talk in New York, a small talk in California, wherever they're getting their call at, whether they're buying it online or from a dealer, they sound the exact same. And that's important in the duck call market because when you're talking about different tone boards and different ways that people cut reeds and dog ear reeds and shave tone boards or sand tone boards off, it just takes a minute. Just a minuscule of a of a different cut or a different sanding technique or something, and that call sounds totally different. You might cut the reed a little bit. That reed might be too short or too long, and it and it it. it really changes the sound or dictates the way that that call is going to perform so if our customer base or our potential customer base consumer can be rest assured that when they pick it up it's going to sound just like the one that chad's blowing on the foul life or chris is blowing when he's filming videos for the companies that he works with then that's that's saying a lot because a lot of times you'll hear calls on tv and you're wondering like i wonder how much that been been manipulated how what kind of cork is in there is it brand new cork is it wet cork where's the readout? was it doggier? is it longer is it shorter was it sanded custom you know custom sanded for the person that was buying it and you can do that somebody could come into our shop and say hey this is yeah this is my calling style and you're going to be able to recognize that and maybe you know sand a little bit more take off. a little bit of hold out of the car but i haven't heard one person say man this reads too long or this reads too short or i need more taken off of this tone board that's the way that that read, that mylar reads bouncing off of that tone board is consistent because of the time and effort that you put into getting those tolerances correct. And those, those little minute precise measurements that are that now that I'm in the game with you and I was with banded for a while when we had banded calls, but now I'm like, man, these calls are so consistent and so dead on duck. There is a lot of mallard hen duck built into the jargon calls.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that, that was the main point too, is, is to get, we, we want to sound like a duck at the end of the day we can do all we want in the shop we can build the best the best looking call on the market but if it doesn't sound like a duck it's not going to sell and it's not going to be used as far as in the timber so or or in the field an open field or so forth so we wanted to have a consistent sound we wanted it to sound like a duck and, and we wanted everything to be user friendly we wanted that call like you're saying with the mouthpiece we wanted to be comfortable we didn't want short it short uh, sharp edges on the call you know we wanted the insert to fall in your hand so Another thing, another point that I bring is, is that I was, we were having, back in the day when I had another call company is, is that I constantly was getting calls for inserts that were lost. And so we went ahead and came up with the O-ring design, you know, it's not, we didn't come up with it, we didn't design that, we just used that design for our calls to where people are not losing their insert, you know, you're spending a lot of money on these calls. They're a custom call. You know, you need to have something that you know is gonna be secure when you go out in the woods and in the field.
0: And I would think that, you know, I'd like to assume that duck hunters and duck callers that wear duck call lanyards double loop their calls, but, but I don't. don't, and I don't know many that do. I know a few that do that I've actually hunted with or physically been around and seen it, but it's just, it's just not done a lot. It's yeah. those lanyards are meant to put one around the insert, one in the groove in the, in the barrel, but um, our call is has a friction-based design to where the friction caused by those O-rings doesn't allow a couple things. It doesn't allow air to leak. It doesn't allow the call to come apart very easily. If you really if you really get in there with your strength and your arm and, and, and maneuver it to come apart while you turn it and pull, then you can retune the call or check the read or clean out from under the read or the tone board or whatever, any debris in there. But, yeah, that's… That's a big part of it because when you're in boats and you're bouncing around, you're kicking water, you're sending your dog or you're running after a cripple, whatever you're doing, that call falls off your lanyard and it's in that water. You might find it when the water comes off of it in the spring, but chances are slim and none. And you're like, man, that was my baby. But here's the deal about jargon is that you just go get another one and it's going to be your baby right away because of the consistency. But a lot of people don't want to spend another 150 bucks. You spend 150 bucks on this, you want it to last for seasons. And that's, I've heard a lot of people talk about jargon, the customer service, what we've you know, you, hey, I'll send you a couple reads. Try this link. Try this link. And everybody's like, I like the response time. I like the way that they can get to us and talk to us personally. DM us, direct messages on Instagram or Facebook or whatever it might be. In today's world, it's easy to get a hold of people. At least, you know, have access to get a hold of them. Some people might not get back to you in a timely manner, but we're trying to answer those questions. We're trying to do things different. I, a lot of people want to know what's the difference between the small talk and the loud mouth. The names say a lot. The small talk is, you know maybe a little bit quieter it's something that's not as as long-winded it might not have as much power it might not have as much rattleness in it rattleness is a big deal with our calls i think it sounds very ducky the the loudmouth, it's a little bit more of an open board design it might be for a windy day it might be for a big water day Um, not to say that the small talk won't reach up and cut ducks out of the air when they're at 200 300 yards high and you're really trying to reach them to try to get them to break down and start working your spread what is the main difference you designing these calls what would you say if i called you up said hey mr chris just was figuring out what call i want here's what i do here's where i hunt what's the difference between the small talk and the loudmouth so if a guy called
1: me up and wanted to know what the difference is and where he should use and what application be used for on that pacific call i would tell him that or you ask him are you hunting an open area or are you hunting in an area that has timber surrounded sloughs or trees or or fields or whatnot. If you're hunting in an extreme open area, okay, I would I would suggest to that person they go with a loudmouth because it's like an open consider like an open water call. Okay, it's louder. You know, it can still do a feed. It can still coax them into the decoys and get soft on the bottom end. But it is a lot louder on the top end. It's got that really high pitch loud bark. And of course, the small talk is going to be when you get in a timber situation or a slough. Anything that's surrounded and you're hunting a real tight spot, that's where you want to pick up the small talk.
0: So are you saying that the loudmouth can't get on that low end and have ducks on that where you don't have to put a whole lot of back pressure on it and you can manipulate it when when they're getting tight, you know, all the little tricky duck sounds? You can, but it's not really meant for that? Or what You you can, but the tone
1: is just a little bit louder. You know, you're not going to be able to get as quiet on the bottom end. Plus the small talk is going to have a little bit deeper tone, which... You know, historically, a deeper tone in the woods or in a tight spot seems to work
0: better. Right. So what do you mean by a deeper tone?
1: Well, it's got more back pressure in the
0: call. Okay. okay? Built-in back pressure? Built-in back pressure in the call. So that means that you can just hold it in between your index finger and your thumb, and you're going to have back pressure that's built yeah, in without you can, applying it yourself.
1: Yeah, you can just take the call, put into it, and then you can feel that back pressure given back to you. So the exhaust on it is closed down. So being that it's closed down, it's creating that back pressure. Also, it's creating that deeper tone. You know, the barrel on the small talk and the loud mouth is the same as far as dimension, width, you know, length, the whole nine yards. But the biggest thing in the small talk and the loud mouth is that deeper tone. And it is
0: more user friendly.
1: The small, the small talk, talk is. is
0: now when you say user-friendly, am I gonna be intimidated by the loudmouth as a first-time duck caller or a beginning duck caller? Because it is a little bit harder to control. In my opinion, it is a it's an awesome call, the loudmouth yeah. is, but it is a little bit more harder to a little more difficult to manipulate it and get those different ducky sounds, is that because the air is coming out of it at a faster pace because of the size of that diameter? So a a more experienced duck caller can, I always use the word manipulate, because that's what we're doing with our hand, our Mm -hmm. back pressure, our tongue, our mouth cavity, the fatty tissues in our mouth, even our teeth. We're changing that, the jaw, we drop our jaw, we close our jaw, we pierce our lips more, we relax our lips more, we press the tongue to the roof of our mouth, we drop the tip of our tongue below our bottom, you know, where that bottom teeth gum line meets in the back of your teeth. You're always manipulating the sound. You're manipulating the size of your mouth cavity, how that air travels from your diaphragm, gets to your lungs, gains power, gets into your throat where it meets the larynx. The larynx is that muscle that you use to clean off your sunglasses or fog that windshield when you're a kid. (laughs) So now that hot that's hot pressurized air starts in the diaphragm, moves through the lungs, hits the larynx. Now it gets to the top of the throat right before it enters the back of your mouth, right? And now you can manipulate that air in so many different ways and get squeals or barks or what you call the tree frog or whatever, you know, whatever your sound you're trying to get, whether it's a quack or a cadence, a greet or a comeback, you're standing on that first note. You can get different ducts by manipulating the call, but with the loud mouth. You got to be on your A game with your hand placement, your tongue placement, and like a good athlete, a rural class athlete, you have to think two or three steps ahead. If I'm watching those ducks do what they're doing and I'm picturing and visualizing what they're getting ready to do, I'm going to have my tongue, I'm going to have my hand, I'm going to have my mouth in position to make the right sound. Am I going to stand on the note? I'm going to get ready. little bit of chatter. And I know I'm just visualizing, like, I might have to do this. I'm going to be ready for this. I'm going to be ready for that thinking two or three steps ahead. So as a duck caller, it's not always reactionary. You can visualize it and, and and kind of decipher what you're getting ready to do and then react instead of always just being caught off guard or surprised by it. With the loudmouth, though, you have to be dead on and thinking two or three steps ahead because you do have to have more precise hand placement, more precise back pressure, better mouth cavity, all of that kind of stuff. Is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah, because you're creating the back pressure somewhat, you know? It's got that open bore on the end
1: as far as an exhaust so if you want to open it up and have your hand wide open when you're really yelling and, and leaning on the call you can do that but then you got to create that back pressure when you do get on the bottom end and you do start getting them soft quacks and whines and such
0: soft quacks and whines when you're getting on that bottom end is to me it it defines a duck caller in my opinion I think when you hear somebody pick up a duck call, they always want, and it happens in the goose call world all the time too, but they always want to show you their power. Mm -hmm. And how many runs they can do together and stuff. And I'm always like, all right, well, I want you to pick up that call and just finesse it. And finesse it. Because that's where I'm going back with that loud mouth and, and thinking two or three steps ahead is that you have to be able to get on that low end and get those little peeps and those little squeals and those little, you know, those little quacks and the stuff that ducks do. Because you don't want to be hammering at them all the time, no. but you don't want to quit calling at them either because ducks don't quit talking. So to be a perfectionist, to be a, a, a person that wants to finish them from A to Z and know that you did that, you want to talk them all the way to the water, all the way to the cornfield, all the way to the pea field, whatever application you're hunting, whatever habitat you're hunting, you want to be able to say, I finished those ducks. I didn't get lucky. I finished them. Sometimes the mojo does it, the spinner. Sometimes other apparatuses help you. But as a duck hunter, you're going to be able to say, man, I just communicated with that wild duck, with that flock of wild ducks. I just spoke their jargon, a specialized vocabulary amongst a group of people. And as duck hunters, how many different formats of jargon are there? Think about it. If you're going to be a precise duck hunter, a perfectionist, somebody that really wants to control the hunt, not like micromanage it and be the boss. I'm talking about somebody that can communicate with ducks. Think about it, Chris. How many different levels of jargon are there in a duck camp? Me and you talk, you and I talk as duck hunters, the buddies. Hey man, what's going on? What'd you do at work this week? How's Ashley? How's your wife? How's your kids? And then you start talking to each other in jargon of just precise vocabularies, like get down, cover up, pull the jerk string, turn the mojo on, send him. Hey, guys, right above us. Hey, you, Sometimes you just whistle. Joel Wicker's the best at it. When there's ducks, he just gives a little whistle. That's jargon in the duck woods. It is. But a, you might think, a musician might do that, but that whistle means completely something opposite, something completely opposite to a musician or a referee in a football game. A whistle to a duck hunter means there's ducks up above. Quit messing around. Right. Quit talking. Get ready to start kicking the water and get your hand, your, call on, your hand on your call and get ready to reach for that Benelli pistol. Then you got all of that jargon that you speak to your dog. Hold your hand up. Back. Mark. Watch. Fetch up. You know, you're always doing that. And you say their name and send them. Duff. Axel. Slash. You send them. There's a jargon between the duck hunter and the duck dog. That you wouldn't speak to me. You're not going to tell me back. I know we goof around and I'm out getting a crippler helping pick up ducks. And so, you know, your buddies will whistle at you and send you like to get a laugh out of the blind. But that's jargon between the hunter and the dog. And now you got the jargon between the hunter and the wild duck. So right there, there's three different levels of specialized vocabulary amongst a specified group of people. That's what jargon is. Now you're in the woods and you're doing things to manipulate those ducks and get them in a race to finish in your decoy spread, aka the kill hole, so you can go butcher them and process them and put them on your grill and serve the bounty to your friends and family. So right there, creates a fourth jargon, is in the duck hunting world, is cooking them. you marinating them. you doing poppers. You're doing mama Dale's duck. you doing speckle belly spaghetti. What are you doing? There's jargon in everything that we do. So if we learn that and what that means, now you're like, I take pride in the way I talk to my buddies in the duck blind. I take pride in the way that my dog operates in duck blind and makes the hunt complete. I take pride in how I can communicate and, and speak the vocabulary of a wild duck, speak the jargon. And I get them close enough to make clean, harvestable, ethical shots to where there's no suffering, no cripples. And now I speak another jargon to where I can go in and become a provider and actually prepare that wild meat for protein and substance for my friends and family. If you think about it along those lines, it's easy to have passion about the stuff. It's so easy to have passion to where when you do see those ducks in the air and you hit them with that high ball or that comeback call or you stand on that first note, you as the designer of these calls has to have so much love and so much pride and so many big smiles of like, I, I talked about this with Chad. I trained my dog. I learned how to blow all these notes on a duck call. I learned how to read ducks and body language and wingtips and what they're trying to tell me. I learned how to cook it. I learned how to prepare it to make sure that my family lives an organic wild lifestyle off the land. What better is there? You've got to have a ton of pride in what you've done with jargon.
1: Yeah, it's just you're a part of it. That's the biggest thing is you're a part of every bit and piece of it. That's what's so cool about duck calls is that you're helping people communicate. You know, one of our things is is we want to teach people. We want to teach people the right way. You know, the younger generation that is coming up, teach them how to call ducks, when to shut up, because communicating is not just talking the whole time. It's, listening. it's not sitting there getting on the call, just hail balling them the whole time. It's actually knowing when to shut up, you know. And a lot of people don't really know that. They get in the woods, they call in constant, nonstop, high balling, high, ball, high balling, and you hear them, I mean, everybody hears them in the woods one, one time or another, they've heard that before. And so knowing when to shut up, when to communicate back, when to give them a feed call, when to give them a whine, you know, so forth, when to get soft, when to
0: get loud, all that's jargon. So when you're thinking about that along the lines of you, though, as the designer and the craftsman, and the creator of these designs of the jargon call line, when you're watching those ducks swirl down into that hole that day, I mean, we were in, that was an amazing hunt, right? We're in what Absolutely. we call the Mitchell hole we have the perfect conditions in timber a lot of people here ducky day they they want to think stormy and low ceiling and cl- spitting rain and hail and snow and i'm like no thank no. you i'm not saying you ain't gonna get them yeah but i like bluebird skies with very few clouds if any i like a little 12 to 15 mile an hour breeze and some cold temperatures maybe a low of 30 32 with the high of 42 43 in stuttgart area flooded timber area of arkansas and it's magic You see all the ducks. They're not above clouds. You get to see them. You get to try to break them down. And then you get to see them work. And what's so cool about the timber is that once they start grouping up, you know, those ducks up high, see some spinning, they go, oh, there's the action. Then another group sees them. Then all of a sudden, 10 can turn into 200 in a heartbeat. And so you as the craftsman and you're watching that, are you like, it's just another duck call? Or are you like, man, we are really manhandling these ducks because... These calls are so consistent with the sound they produced and the ducks that have been built into them.
1: Yeah, you know, it comes together as far as when you start blowing a call and you're communicating with the ducks and you know that you're bringing those ducks in the hole and you know that you're getting ducky on a call, in my opinion, there's no better feeling.
0: You know, when you start thinking about Arkansas, there is different ways of hunting in Arkansas. There's some rice fields where guys will have pit blinds in a levee, they'll get out and they'll shoot the rice. And I've done that and I enjoy it. Um, but it's nothing like the timber. Arkansas, I think, I've had this discussion with other people, Dave Stanley being one of them, like, I don't think there's a second close place in America for destination for duck hunting as in tourists actually traveling somewhere to experience duck hunting like there is in Arkansas. Think about it. Like there used to be, you know, the Chesapeake Bay and the Eastern shore, the Canadian, the Canada goose uh, limit. There's only down to one goose, maybe two. A lot of people aren't going to travel there. It's very historic. There's a lot of culture there. There's a lot of tradition there in the waterfowling tradition, the sense of the word. But, I just don't think there's anywhere. There's great duck hunting everywhere in this country, from the Dakotas to Washington State. You know, up in Washington State along the Columbia River Basin awesome. Idaho, the Snake River Basin, awesome. California, the Butte Sink, and the, the Sacramento Delta, and that entire area is awesome duck hunting. But I would venture to say that not many people travel from out of state, fly into Sacramento, California, to hunt ducks in California.
1: Yeah, and in California, you can shoot seven mallards. Seven mallards
0: you can kill you can hunt you can kill ten specks a man per day. So that's a great point. The liberal limits in the Pacific flyway per se, people still aren't flocking to it. You go to Arkansas, you can kill four mallards, which is really the only duck you kill in the timber unless you do a fly by Woody. Once in a while a gray yes. duck gadwall or sometimes seen a sprig drop in, but very rare. It's always mallards. You kill four of them, you're done. And people flock there like they're handing out money to everybody that lands there.
1: I think the reason why, Chad, is because the communication, again, it comes back to communication. You can communicate with the mallards in the timber more or less better than you can out in the field, in my opinion. A lot of stuff is off of sight. We talked about that. It's off of sight in fields and marshes and so forth. But in the timber, they're coming off of sound. They're yeah, listening I mean, to that calling.
0: I, I think that my point is is that people go to Arkansas for duck hunting. They don't go anywhere else. For I know that some travel to Argentina. I know that quite a few Americans go to Canada for the early migration. I would bet that more people go to Arkansas on a yearly basis than they go to Canada from the United States of America. Travel to Arkansas, land in Little Rock, drive 50 miles to Stuttgart, visit Max Prey Wings, go to the Cajun. You know, eat, 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 eat the food down there at the Cajun or somewhere else around the Stuttgart area. There's lots of awesome, you know, home, home-cooked meals around there. Then you got all the duck lodges, the historic duck lodges. You can keep naming them and name them. We're lucky enough to go to Prairie Wings. It's been around forever. But you got the Coca-Cola Woods. You got the Winchester Club. You got McCollum's Wildlife Acres. You know, you got Russell's. You got all of the different places down there that are known for green timber or flooded timber mallard duck hunting. And the reason that that's so important to me is that you're right, is that when ducks are flying over those big, you know, those just huge plots of trees, that timber that's got water on them now, they go in there for two reasons. One, either eat the acorn or two, for cover, for safety, for security. Eagles can't see them. Coyotes aren't in that flooded woods very often. Foxes aren't in those flooded woods very often. It's harder to sneak up on ducks when they're on the water. You can hear them coming a lot easier. Splashing, you know, you can hear predators coming through. When a deer walks through the flood timber, you can hear them from a mile away.
1: Absolutely. Splashing
0: and stuff. So that's why duck calling is so prevalent in Arkansas, whether you're up in Northeast Arkansas, around Jonesboro, over to Walnut Ridge and Searcy and Augusta and that area of north of I-40, you go, you cut over to maybe Little Rock and down into the Grand Prairie, that whole place, that whole area south of I-40 into the Stuttgart area and all over there by England and, and, and Holly Grove and that whole area, flooded timber is what people go to Arkansas for, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and if you break it down, really break it down, there's not a lot of timber in the state
0: of Arkansas. No. It all used to it be timber. Special. It all used to be timber until yeah. the rice industry took off. And then farmers started clear cutting everything. But the ducks kept going there because they were used to those trees and those acorns. So when they get there, those plots of timber that are still there are loaded with ducks. And now they got all that rice and all the rice checks to keep them fed. And then they go into the, they sleep in the rice fields overnight a lot of the times. And then they come into that timber, that flooded timber in the morning, right?
1: Yeah, come in the timber to basically rest. I'm not saying that they don't come into timber. To feed, because they will later in the season when it gets really, really cold, but mostly they're coming in there to rest.
0: To rest, and picture this now. The Biomeda, let's take the Biomeda for example. It's probably the most sought-after public area to hunt in the United States of America. Absolutely. You go to Arkansas and you get a chance as a non-resident to hunt in the Biomeda, The early morning boat races, people freaking fist fighting, the, the passion and, I mean, the aggressiveness for people to get and find their hole and to get underneath mallard ducks, especially when the sun's out. They've waited this for, forever. It's also only a 60 day season in Arkansas. So you get down there and you have a chance to hunt, let's say the Biomeda. It could be a hundred yards from you. It could be 200 yards from you, half a mile from you. There's setups everywhere doing what you're doing. Jerk rigs, maybe a couple decoys. Some people hunt without decoys. Public area in Arkansas, you cannot use a mechanical decoy or a spinning wing or any of that on private property. You can, the biomeda, you cannot. So think about that. You're up against this tree. Calling with your buddies. You and Adam are out there, your brother, maybe myself. Quarter mile from us, you got Marty Hesh and Joel Wicker. Quarter mile from that, you got John Stevens and Jim Ronquest. A quarter mile from that, you got Rick Dunn and the Echo Crew. Think about the competition going on with audio. Those ducks are so far up there, they're not seeing anything in those woods. There's no flash going on because you can't use a spinner. They see live rafts of ducks down there right. sometimes with flash. But you're controlling those ducks and breaking them down from a mile high with a duck call. That's why duck calling is so historically prevalent in the state of Arkansas, in the Grand Prairie, in the Stuttgart, the rice capital of the world, the duck capital of the world, self-acclaimed, you know, Stuttgart, Arkansas, everything that goes with it. The tradition, the world's duck calling championship every November, the the weekend after Thanksgiving. It's so powerful to be there. Max Prairie Wings fall, you know, their fall fest that's happening this September, October. It used to be in August. I mean, there's, a boat behind every truck there's even boats behind cars everybody's got their blue jeans tucked into their mud boots walking into max they a lot of them have their duck calls tucked into their pocket on their lanyard steel the old school guys do that people are get out of the woods they go to max they leave max they go back to the lodge they get ready to go back in the woods the next day you got outfitters everywhere you got historic lodges everywhere And you got this tradition, this culture. It's like everything is duck. You can go to Idaho. You can go to Boise right now. Parma, Idaho, Star, Idaho, and and all all that entire area of the Snake River as it as it travels down to like Twin Falls. You got Hagerman in that area. You got more mallards than you can shake a stick at. But you don't have the culture. You don't have the breakfasts where you walk Mm. in and every single table's full of camo. And a boy or girl, man or woman, newcomer, you know, a guy that's got a ton of experience, they're in there with their, their some got their waders on steel, especially bandy because they're so comfortable, but they got their camo on steel, they got their calls on steel and they're eating all over the place. Every boat, every time you drive into somewhere, whether it's dinner, breakfast, lunch, the Sportsman's Club in Stuttgart going in there to get an awesome cheeseburger, duck hunters everywhere, drinking a cold beer, sharing stories. You don't find that. Now, I'm not saying you don't find it anywhere, but I'm talking about during those 60 days, that's what Arkansas is, is duck hunting. That's what it's all about. But you, you relate it back to jargon and all the jargon that's being talked in that area of the country. That's why we build our calls in Arkansas. You live in Arkansas. Our shop is in Arkansas between Searcy and Augusta. We have a lot of friends right in that area. Marty Hetch at the corner, who's a big, a, a big a, you know, proponent of, of jargon been- calls. He's bought a lot of them from us. He loves them. These calls are they're, they're taken off because we don't sit around and say we invented the duck call, we reinvented the duck call, we evolution, you know, we we've evolved it and we've taken it to different places. We're not reinventing the wheel here. No, we do have some new designs. We have some very out of the box innovative innovation in this call. In all of our designs, they look good, they sound good, they uh, you know the cost is there. It's equal to a lot of the other duck call manufacturers there are, but. Isn't that what you get out of that place? Is That's why duck calling is there. That's why most of the world champions come out of Arkansas. World champions can kill ducks. Whether you're blowing on Main Street or in a meat calling contest, they can kill ducks. Oh, absolutely. That's why most of the world champions come out of Arkansas. Whether you're on an Echo or a Rich and Tone, I would say 90%, at least 90% of the women's and the men's and the juniors, world champions, are born and raised in Arkansas. I know there's been a couple out of Louisiana. I know there's been a couple out of Iowa, California one time. I don't know them all but i would venture that over 90% of them are born and raised in arkansas and you have to be good on this to get the duck's attention cuz they can't see your decoys in the woods
1: most everybody that i know in arkansas there's not there's not but a few people that i know that really are not fully perfect on a call you know most everybody can run a call top to bottom and and the reason why is cuz like you said you have to it's it's a culture there It's what everybody does. It's what everybody waits for, for the weekends, what everybody, you can feel it in the air. Whenever you showed up last year, you said, man, when I got off the plane, as soon as I got off, I could just feel the duck hunting, the the atmosphere, you know, everybody in the air was just, it was like this, you know, huge thing came over the top of me saying, hey, look, man, I'm in Arkansas. I'm in the duck capital of the world. And it truly is. I mean, you know, if you wanted to kill mallards, people come to (laughs) Arkansas. if you want to kill mallards in a flood of timber, of course. So there's other places, destinations, like you said, to kill mallards at, but there's nothing
0: like killing them in the tree. And I don't know if it's really, I, I know the mallard duck is a big part of it, but it could be, it could probably be different species if they were going in the woods like mallards do. Mallards are just, they're the coolest duck. A, a lot of people call the canvasback back the king, and I'm not going to argue that, but to me, there's nothing like a mallard duck. There's nothing like a flock of mallards that respond to a call and communicate back to you and cut the wind and get in a race and make those turns and get to the edge and get to the sides and come straight overhead and then spin and go back out and make another circle. <coughs> Excuse me, you know, in trees, they're working really vertical. They're coming down from way up there. As in a dry field, they get really perpendicular, right? They get really, they go out and they make a lot of false runs and they're, they're just, they go way out, but they're not real high after they get down there. It's kind of the same in flooded timber to where, as opposed to a regular hole, you know, a duck might drop straight into a hole. He sees the decoys and he just comes and he lets his landing gear down, he backflaps and he's trying to light on that in that hole, right? In flooded timber, they bomb down there, they start sailing, what you call sailing, they're coming like a maple leaf, they're coming, and then all of a sudden they get on top of those trees and they start spinning. They're working them, they're looking for little slits in the tree limbs, they're looking, they're hunting you <coughs> up. They're looking for predators. They're looking for the boogeyman. You know, you shake the water, kick the water with your foot. A lot of people think that that's for visual to shake the water. It's audio because they're used to hearing those wings slap on the water and ducks landing and plopping down the water. So you slap the tree with your hand. That's a duck's wing hitting the water. You know, that's, you're kicking the water. A lot of people think, oh, you kick it right when they're over the top. No, you don't want to give them any chance to pinpoint where that motion's coming from and see the white of your skin or your hand on your call. You do it when they go by, you kick that water real loud and they hear that and they're like, oh, I relate that with all the real ducks I landed in the Bayamita with yesterday. And then they come down in there, there's no, there's no chance of them getting out of there once they're down in there. But they take their time circling and working that hole and finding that right slit, finding that wind and that right approach to come in there. It's all about patience and like you said, letting them hunt you up. But with these calls, it was different this year. I'm telling you, I didn't, I'm not saying that if we were using another call that we wouldn't have done what we did. But it just felt right. It just felt good. It sounded right. We've we we we've done a lot of research. We've had a lot of talks about jargon. And I'm very proud of it with the name and our marketing and what we're doing with our print ads and our digital ads and, and the incorporation of the calls into the Foul Life episodes, what we're doing with different partners and all the corporate accounts that we've got and making these calls for corporate accounts. I'm proud of that part of it. But you, as the guy that designs these, I'm trying to get it out of you of like when when... Let me put it in this perspective: When Dean Dylan would write a song, and he picked it on his guitar, and he's sitting there reading, "I'm a fireman," and then all of a sudden George Strait has it on the radio, and Dean Dylan hears it on the radio, and the DJ goes, "Here's a number one hit by George Strait, up and comer out of the state of Texas. I was a fireman." You know that song, Fireman? Yeah. Okay. Think about that. The songwriter's going, "Oh my God, I hear my song." That's how I'm trying to think of how, in related to you, like, wow. These guys are blowing the calls that I came up with. My tone board, my gut design, my reeds, my shape, my aesthetics, my, me and my brother designed this mouthpiece. And that's got to make you feel different than just picking up another call and, and, and hammering it at ducks and killing ducks. I get it. A lot of duck calls will kill ducks. We're not saying they won't. We'd be idiots and ignorant to say that. But to me, Dean Dillon, they call me the farmer. That's my name. Making my rounds all over. And you th- hear that, him sing it. You're like, oh, all right, that's all right. Then George Strait sings it, and Dean Dillon's like, like wow. I wrote that. Yeah, And he gets paid for it, number one hit. That's how I would look at it as a duck call manufacturer, because of what you're doing. You are creating so many memories and stories for people, just like a song does. A song is about how does it relate to you? How does it make you feel inside? That's how you got to be feeling.
1: And that's exactly how I feel. I mean, people call me all the time right after, basically last year after they... They went on a hunt and they said, man, you should have saw the mileage what they did, how they broke their neck trying to get into the hole. And it does make me feel good. I think what makes me feel the best as far as in a duck haul is just having a community of guys that are part of it. That's what really makes me feel good because you have these group of guys that you can call on, you can get out in the blind, you can call, you can holler. In Arkansas, everybody's kind of best friends as far as when it comes to duck hunting. Unless you're and, on a public boat Unless you're so. on public public land. but. <laughs> You know, we're kind of best friends of, hey, look, you know, a guy might stop by the shop, man. We killed him in this hole. Why don't you come tomorrow morning? And we get along so good. That's what's so cool about it is, is that we're on the same level. Everybody's trying to help each other out, and it's a community of people. And that's what's so cool about Jorgen is, and that's what we're we trying to build, is we want to get a community of guys that does like, say, Rick Dunn did, and did it well, is get a group of guys that actually were passionate about that call company, and we go out and hunt and break ducks in the trees, because that's really at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, is spending time with each other and learning that person of who he is and finding out, because you know as well as I do, standing beside the tree, everybody spills the beans for some reason or another. You get to know
0: anybody and everybody on a duck hunt. That's why jargon is so significant to me in what we do, because I feel that Duck Camp USA, or Duck Camp Canada, Duck Camp Argentina, there's no place on it, and there's no place like it in the world. Now, that's my opinion. That's coming from a passionate duck hunter. I came up with this slogan a few years ago of, um, and Tom did a logo on. We merely exist in their world, and the globe is in the duck's hand, in the duck's foot, and he's controlling our world. I was in an Irish bar one time meeting a friend during the World Cup, and I looked up to my left, and there was a poster, and I'm like, what is that? And it was the logo of the World Cup. If you go and Google the World Cup logo, and the trophy a lot of the times is built after that logo, I was like, that looks like a mallard's foot holding a globe. And I went, boom, that's it. They control our world. Oh, you want to do that? Oh, no, I'm going to make you do this. They just twist a little bit. Oh, you've been a bad boy this week? I'm going to bring clouds and rain this week. No sunshine for you. Oh, you, 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 you're supposed to go on a week's vacation? You're bringing your duck call with you, and you're still going to annoy <laughs> the piss out of your wife. they do it they just they just they're puppet masters they're ventriloquists they just sit there and turn our world turkey hunters same way with a a gobbler whatever species you're hunting deer hunters for sure there's 14 million deer hunters in this country a lot of them are passionate about it duck hunters are on a different level of passion in my opinion that they take it the the gear they buy the the knowledge that they try to gain it's hard to be a successful duck hunter truly it's very difficult because you can't figure them out can't figure well i it's not just that you can't figure them out it's that you got to have A lot of tools you got to have access. You got to know how to scout. You have to understand the communication. Then you got the identification process of it and figuring out what you can shoot, how many you can shoot, when you can shoot, when you got to stop shooting. That's why a lot of people don't duck hunt because it's difficult and it's expensive. So the better you can develop that community, like you said, Rick Dunn did, or what Stevens and Ronquest have done. Well, after they bought Rich and Tone, after John bought Rich and Tone from Mister Butch, um, they've developed these communities to where people take pride in it, and that's what Jargon's doing because people are catching on to. We want to be part of that. We understand the name. They look it up and they're like, oh, that's what it means. It's so cool to hear jargon. You ever had headset on in a plane and heard a pilot talking to air traffic control? You're like, what in the freak is going on here? And they understand every word they're saying. And the next thing you know, the wheels hit the runway and you're safe. On the approach, the weather, how fast to drop in, judging the winds, the crosswind, da-da-da-da-da. They don't say, there's a high wind today. They say stuff and you're like, what? It's crazy.
1: My it's, wife will do the same thing. We're sitting there. I, if I'm talking to one of my buddies and I'm talking duck home with her, you know, they'll not, nine times out of ten, they're like, whatever, you know? And the reason why is because they don't understand what we're talking about. Right. You know? And that's
0: jargon. It is. And that's about, getting back to what I said is Duck Camp, USA, Duck Camp, Canada, wherever you're at. It could be deer camp, be turkey camp. You get to know people at Duck Camp. Everybody lets their guard down because they're so humbled by what Mother Nature is letting you witness. Like somebody like Tom or somebody that finds that serenity in a mountain and a slope and skiing, that's their duck camp. My opinion, there's no place in the world like duck camp. I love being on the beach, but I would much rather be in duck camp, whether I'm killing them or not. I like the campfire. I like the cooking. I like having a highball or a cold beer or a bottled water standing around a Traeger grill cooking at night. I like scouting. I like having binoculars in a notepad. I like driving around in trucks in Canada and finding birds and reporting back and getting back to the hotel and going to the local bar and meeting all the people there that are doing the same stuff and figuring out... Man, there's a lot of pressure there. We're going to have to have our A game on. Well, there's nobody here this year. We're got home free kind of deal. And they, there's so many different things that can, you know, happen that you got to adapt to as a duck hunter. You got to adapt. But when I saw that, we merely exist. When I came up with that, we merely exist in a duck's world. I mean that. And that's why duck camp is so important because everybody that's at duck camp understands that. Mm-hmm. We're controlled by ducks. We think about them 365 days a year. Some of us hunt them 100 days a year. Some of us hunt them 60 days a year. Some of us are lucky enough to get out 20 times a year. Most of us get to hunt them seven times a year. And the average is like two to three ducks a piece. That ain't a whole lot, no. but they still love it. They still look forward to it every year. Getting their boats ready, getting their dog trained, getting their decoys painted, getting their calls tuned up, getting new tires on the rig. Everything that goes into it, getting blinds built. It's, it's an amazing lifestyle. And to be a part of it now, you're ingested in it because of the brand jargon. We've had brands in the industry for a long time with Banded, The Foul Life, Avery, Greenhead Gear, Avery Sporting Dog. We're very humbled by the success of them. And now we have this name jargon that I think has caught on fast. It's only been a couple months. And it's caught on to where there's a lot of chit-chat going around. I know that we talked about that with <laughs> chit-chat. But there's a lot of talk going on. There's a lot of momentum, a lot of snowball effect happening because I feel... What you're saying is the most important part, that community. People feel like they can be a part of something that that has meaning to it. And that's what jargon is, is how transparent can you get with somebody? How can you sit across like this and have a conversation? If you're 21, 25, you might not do it much because it's all about texting, instant messaging, finding our content on Instagram and being happy with that. When I was growing up, you had to actually pick up a phone and dial it, pick up a landline and call. Hey, Miss Williams, is Johnny there? Can I just chat? I, I didn't have Johnny's cell phone number, when I was 15. Texting him, hey, let's let's run down to the stadium, watch a game. Get your bike, come over. I knew where the kids were in the, in the neighborhood by how many bikes were laying in the in the driveway. That's how we knew where everybody was. We couldn't just send a group text and say, hey, everybody meet here. We had to be transparent. We had to talk. Yeah, when you talk to them, you
1: use that time wisely. You didn't just basically ramble on or hey, you know that's the biggest thing with you know nowadays, like you're saying, getting back to communicating is is. We're fortunate that at the drop of the hat, we can pick up our phone, call somebody up, and nine times out of 10, you're gonna reach that person. And so I find that people aren't communicating nowadays like they used to back in back in the day. Because no, whenever, no. whenever you got with that person, you finally got to get a hold to them. You went ahead and made it worth it talking to that person. And you went over, hey, look, what'd you do? Would, you know, where'd y'all hunt today? What, you know, where y'all going tomorrow, so forth. And now everybody's able to access that person very easily and i find that we're just we're just not communicating like we should and that's
0: the reason of the name of the company yep you build it you build a company and a brand maybe people will understand that there is something in conversation there is something in reading somebody's body language if i send you a text and you take it the wrong way but you didn't know i was kidding or i'm pissed off but you think i'm joking you can't really tell what's going on in text but it's so easy to send it everybody's like oh that's good enough I've saw like on Tom's phone at one time, I think I saw like 297 unread text messages. Think about that. You think about that. People are trying to communicate with us and they just think it's so easy. Oh, I'll send this text. And then it sits in that box Mm -hmm. and that red bubble on your texting icon is building up and building up and building up along with your emails because it's so easy to do it. If somebody would take the time to call Tom or me or whoever, then it's a different story. You either put them in a voicemail or you take the call. And you have that conversation with them. You don't just leave it up to them. Oh, I'll get back to that text in a week. And then you send you a text back it. in a week. You forget about it. And the conversation's dead. There's no passion anymore. But it happens a lot in texting. It's just, a, it's just it, you, you, there's a lot of distinction that doesn't take place in texting, in my opinion, to where you know that I'm talking with passion right now because I'm using my hands. I got a little bit of Italian blood in me. I might be you know, really aggressive right now because I'm talking about something that I love so much of ducks and mallards and Arkansas and flooded timber and jargon duck calls. You can tell that as opposed to a text be like, these duck calls are good. Well, what does he mean? (laughs) Do they look good? Do they sound good? You know, it's just talking is is everything. And I think that that's why the company and the brand is at where it's at and it's elevated itself so fast because we understand the importance of vocabulary, diction, putting sentences together speaking with passion, and getting our point across through words, and being, being good listeners. Part of communication is how do you listen? How do you become a sponge? If you want to be a good duck caller, a good duck call operator, somebody that can proficiently run one of these, you have to listen, not just to somebody that gives you a lesson over the internet, or an old DVD, or a cassette tape, or, or you call somebody up, you have to listen to what Mother Nature's telling you, You have to listen to what the ducks are doing. You got to listen to their body language. You can't, you can see their body language, but you also have to adapt to that and like, are they doing that because I'm making this sound? Or do I make this sound now to get them to do something different? Are they leaving because I sound terrible? Or can I get them back here? Or they're kind of scooting off this way. Can I get them more centered up again? All of that comes with audio. You got to listen to what they're telling you. You got to listen to what the woods are saying. You got to listen to what the ducks are saying. And a lot of people don't have the patience to do that. They just want to kill them at 60 yards. Coyote comes in when you're calling him, gets 400 yards. I'm an awesome marksman. You shoot out in 400, you know how hard it is to kill a coyote at 400 yards? Their vitals are that big. I don't care what rifle you're shooting and how proficient you are with it. A little bit of windage or something, a little drop in elevation, you're crippling it, you're missing it. I like to kill them at five yards with a shotgun. Trick them, let them hunt you up, be patient. I like to get ducks. I piss so many people off in the blind because I don't call the shot. I'm infamous for that call the shop belling. what are you doing patience guys if we lose them we lost them but we're gonna to get to see a show if we if they do what i think they're fixing to do i just said fixing like i'm from where you're from never understood <laughs> that word you that's a whole other conversation <laughs> but think about that think about yep. what you do audio wise communication wise transparency wise honesty wise with jargon with dialogue that's what the brand is about it's not about just another duck call brand and come by our call because we're the new kid on the block, or we got, we, we do have something different. We have something we believe in. We have a call that's different. We have a call that's ducky. We have a call that will last a lifetime. And we have a community that will support it with customer service, ambassadors, people that believe in the brand, people that are gonna go out and fly that flag for us and shoulder the responsibility of saying, hey, You all should choose jargon because this, 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 and this, but most of all, it's going to be the stories and the memories that these calls create, whether you're in the woods of Arkansas, the pea fields of Saskatchewan, the flooded corn of Idaho, or the dry corn of Washington State or Minnesota or North Dakota. No matter where you're hunting ducks at, these calls, I promise you, will create a lot of talk and a lot of feedback because people are going to want to figure out why does that guy sound so much better than me on a call not saying that this call is a better sounding call than everything out there it's easier to sound duckier and a become a better purist with this duck call in my opinion the small talk and the loud mouth we also have the icebreaker and double read version i'm not a double read guy but i'm not against it. it's a read and a half and it sounds very ducky it does but i think that it's i don't think that it is what am i trying to say i don't think that it responds like a, a single read does i don't think it's as versatile as a single read is I think you can get way more realistic ducks out of a single read, the loud mouth or the small talk than you can a read and a half or a double read. Now there's some guys out there that would argue that, but I like single read calls and I will always wanted to become proficient at it. Even though you say I'm not, you do a lot, you said to my face, you're not a very good duck caller. (laughs) We're back at that again. You don't sound very ducky. (laughs) Listen.
1: Sounds ducky to I'm me. I'm not even to
0: the good part yet. <laughs> That's with the front of my mouth. Add in the quack. Is that ducky? Yes, ducky. Now i add in the throat in the back of my mouth. Is that ducky? Yeah, it's ducky. So you're going on record right now saying that I sound somewhat like a mallard hen? No, it sounds like a duck. Promise? Yes. But just not good enough to hunt with you? Maybe. No. (laughs) (laughs) So what do I need to work on?
1: No, you're doing great, like I said. Um, And that's what's so good
0: about these You can't tell me one thing I need to work on?
1: No, I mean, you bring up a perfect point. You know, we have basically one of your buddies here that we were just talking to a little while ago. He said that he can't even blow any call out there. He's tried every single duck call out there. And he told me he can, that you said he sounded like a mallard duck on the duck call. Was that Robert?
0: Yeah. Oh, he sounds like a duck. Yeah. I, sounds good on, he's like, really? I'm like, and he that said he's really tried good.
1: every call out there. You know, and, and that's the big. Well, watch this. Here's
0: what's awesome. Here's back pressure. Here's holding it like a, what would you hold like that? Cigarette, and a funny cigarette? Something. I don't do any of that stuff. So. <laughs> It's duck. No back pressure at all. Well, and that, well that's one of the Your points
1: everybody makes is, is that <laughs> when they get the call, a good duck call, when you blow it, when you grab and you rip into it, you're gonna feel pressure. You're gonna give, it's it, gonna give it back, back to at you. you. That one has the perfect amount of pressure in it to give back to you. Hundred percent. That's what you everybody can stand keeps on
0: saying. It. Pick it up. A lot of people will pick up a call, they're timid. Well, because they, they trying that, to then, feel it. And then they get that little cheater note in there. They yeah. go that little bounce. Yeah. That's cheating. You grab a call, stand on it. Duck. Lean pick on up, Set the call down, pick it up. Yeah. So you give and take. You give it, it pushes it right back to you, like a nice Ford Power Stroke truck, you know, not a Dodge, a Ford, something that a man yeah. should drive. Just, <laughs> and it pushes back a little bit. You put you in that accelerator on that truck, you know, he knows that it's you're giving it to him, and he gives it back to you, and you feel that pressure. <clears throat> you stand on that first note, or you just pick up a call and hammer it. This what you're saying is dead on true, Chris, because you find it so fast on this call. A lot of people would pick up that call and with no back pressure that would stick or it would squeal in a hurry, right? Yeah. That one's right there. (laughs) You got the body. Well, that's what I was going to as far as there's a very
1: fine line. So machining wise, we're talking about consistency. There's a very fine line. If you go just a little bit too deep or a little too shallow as far as on your drill hole, there's a fine line you got to be at. And if you're not using machines that are accurate, okay, and putting out precision parts and keeping up with your tolerances, you know, your measurements, You'll have a call that when you do pick it up, every single one I'm out of a box, one of them might stick. On ours, we're keeping that tolerance as dead on every single time. Or they time, don't go out the door. Every single time.
0: Because anything can go wrong, whether it's the reed hitting that tone board and there's too much shaved off, or there's more shaved off on this side of the spit groove than there is on the other side of it. If that thing's not dead on and you, can, you, it, you don't understand like, well, oh, man, I think that my call's out to you. And the first thing they do is they pull the reed out and they mess with it. It might not be that. It might be the tone board's not sanded right. It might, be, it might not be the call for you. you, might not have your back pressure right. When you pick up these calls, we go through them for hours before we ship them out and we, we blow on them and we do clean them off with alcohol swabs after, yeah. but we test them. We don't just sit there and mass produce them and send them out. We make sure that they're up to our standards before they go out and that you can find that note in a hurry, right? Yeah. Because but- there's so many things that can be done or manipulate on a duck call to, get, to lose its tone or the pitch, right? Right. And with, all of these are tuned perfect and I have still to this day haven't heard somebody go, I got to send it back. It's not for me. The reed's too long. you? Right. It's, I haven't heard that. I have not heard that. And I'm, I really mean that. Well, there's a small
1: window. Basically, whenever you're machining duck calls, there's a small, fine window that you have to stay in between. And if you don't hold that tolerance, you will have calls that could stick or could have distorted sound, not sound like a duck. I can truly say that every single one that comes off the mill, the way we basically sand it, when I put a reed in it, I never have to say, hey, that doesn't sound right. It really doesn't happen. I mean, that's how consistent we're staying to our parts. And the cool thing about the duck hauls is, is that how, you know, I'm in the woods right now and I just had my duck haul get a piece of trash in it.
0: I took it apart. Wait, let's slow down a second before you do it. In your hand right there, you have the insert, right? Inside that insert, you have three pieces. You have the tone tone board, the stopper, the wedge, and the reed. And the reed. So here's how fast this call goes back together.
1: Basically, you take your tone, uh, tone board, put it in there, take your reed. Make sure that it's right Make sure, right sure you bends yep. the right way. you put, put it in, it in there. It's, and
0: it stops where it needs to stop. Stop There's where no it
1: needs guessing. to stop. There's no guessing.
0: That's so important. There's no guessing, right? Yep. There's no guessing. It's in there now. Now you take your and stop. And then on. what
1: I do is I put my, my my pointer finger on top,
0: and then I'll just take this. Squeeze it in there and press it in, and it stops where it needs to stop. And then I'll
1: take my reed. Don't bend it all the way back.
0: Just flick it. Just pop it a couple times. Boom, and now it's dead on duck again.
1: It's right there. So that's how easy it is to be able to take apart in the woods. And that is so key. So <clears throat> in the morning time, you know, when it's dark out or at the night, you know, in the evening time when it's getting low light, it's so easy to take apart. Plus, you're not going
0: to lose your parts. Now, let's not go too far with this call. Now, there, there you take it apart, you got everything in two pieces. This yep. is just the barrel and the band. Just the barrel. This is the stopper, the tone board, the reed, and the insert. I don't advise people to go in the woods and take this apart in the dark with a headlamp. and start. Now, no. if you're really qualified and you have experience doing it, Absolutely. go for it. But you, it doesn't matter who you are. The dog does something. Somebody throws a decoy and it scares you when it splashes. Ducks are coming and you're in a hurry. Don't lose a piece to your call and ruin that hunt. Most duck callers that that happens to before shooting hours, they're in the boat going back to get extra pieces before, because the, they're not gonna hunt without the call. Right. So I don't advise a lot of people to take these apart, but it is so easy to take this apart and get it back to where it needs to be, how it comes tuned out of the factory, out of our call shop in Arkansas. It's a no brainer. All I'm saying is be careful when you're doing it. Your hands are shaking, it's a little cold. You yeah. might have gloves on, you don't have a good grip on the pieces. Don't drop a piece. Do right. it somewhere to where you're accountable. Maybe do it over the boat seat in a boat. Maybe do it over the dog stand where you got all the pieces in your. Don't just sit there and mess around with it. But rest assured, it's easy to do.
1: A good tip, too, if you don't want to take the call apart while, you know, while in the water, out in the blind, you could take it the reed and cock it back like this. Put your fingers around it, your thumb and your pointer finger, and blow. And what will happen is you'll shoot that, whatever that trash is, out to the side of the call. Another way you can do it, of course, is pushing down a reed. And blowing like that and you can pop it off the top of the tone board So if you don't want to have to take it apart and you're scared and you're worried and You really don't know how to take it apart and you're not, you know, per se
0: Not, not that you're not qualified. Just you just don't feel comfortable with it I don't a lot of the time man. I get nervous I'm just like I don't want to break and I got ducks flying on top of me It's but it happens and sometimes you do but it's a lot easier to get this with no guessing game where the parts fit perfect back together <clears throat> to where you know it's, it's going to go back together the same exact way that it came to you. So a lot of people in the past have said, man, I don't feel comfortable taking the call apart. I put the, am I putting my cork in upside down? Am I cutting my cork right? Is my reed the right side up? This is a self-explanatory, you know, it's, we dummied it down a lot to where you don't have to guess how far you push the reed in. You don't have to right. guess how far the stopper goes in. You don't have to guess how far the tone board goes. It's all in there for you. It right. stops when it needs to stop.
1: Right, and just so people know, the longer the reed, the deeper the tone, you know, it will present more hold, a little more hold, as far as having to push it harder, okay? And then the shorter the reed, the higher the pitch is going to be, and the little less hold it's going to be, okay? So, that's a rule of thumb. So, if you take a call and you get a call from us, you blow it, and you just don't have a lot of wind, you don't have a lot of wind to yourself, and you blow it and you think it's just a little too long... Or maybe you're blowing over the top of it, which is very, very, very hard to blow over the top of these calls. But if you do have a call that you feel like the reed is not long enough, you can, you know, purchase a, a long reed from us and cut it down. Or if you lose your wedge, happened that morning, you actually lost this whole parts. You know, all these guts and everything, everything fell out, and you lost everything. And you maybe found a reed. Well, you can order, you know, a tone board from us. We truly suggest us sending it back to us. That way we can match it up to, to your part, um, depending on what we change in the future. But that being said, you can order parts and, and just assemble them. That's what's so cool about this call. You take a band, you know, and you shouldn't be taking your band off, but your band comes apart. So if, cool. a, if a guy in the future, maybe, and we're not offering it right now, but maybe we're we'll offered to where you can change out your bands.
0: Personalize your band. You know, personalize your, your band. Put your dog's name on there.
1: Exactly. So it's all parts put together, precision fit, consistent sound. You can't beat it.
0: Let me hear a couple ducks. I love when you talk about the different ducks. The different ducks? You got the fine, you got the coarse, you got the raspy, and you got the boss hen. Is there four or is there five? Am I missing one? So fine, coarse, raspy, boss hen. So there's four. okay give me the fine yeah
1: and again i'm pressing down my thing and i can get it even finer Mm -hmm. there's not really a set fine you can get your fine real tight
0: you're pinching your throat and then using you're pinching your throat off and then you're using the (laughs) the the front of your mouth a lot Okay, course. Completely different mallard
1: hand. You add so a little fine four. in there. So it's four right there. So basically fine. Course. Raspy. And then boss. If you notice, boss has like a voice to it. Yeah, you know, like You know, very commanding, you know, call. But you can take and do that with all your cadences too, on the top end, on the bottom end. You can go fast, a little fine hen on the bottom end. You know, a lot of people think a fine hen is, is basically just a hen that has a piece of trash in their throat, but it's not. You know, it can be a piece of trash in their throat, like a piece of rice or corn or whatnot, but it's more than likely a, a mallard hen that's learning her voice. That's maybe that sense. first year, first year mallard, you know? Yeah. So, but uh, it's, you know, that's the thing. It's like is, a Jake turkey. Exactly. A little exactly. young hen or
0: a Jake turkey. Like, you know, he's not a two-year-old yet, and he's out there trying to gobble, and they just make you giggle, you know? They're trying, and they're getting it, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Or it's like a puppy barking. They ain't got that, that ain't the big dog on <laughs> yep. the porch yet. Yep. So, yeah, it's a good point. It could just be a mallard hen finding their voice. Is that fine? Right. I right. love the way that goes. Do the transition one more time. Let's the stair step <laughs> Um, I'm gonna fine. say it, you do it. Fine, coarse, raspy, boss, boss, raspy, coarse, fine. Now go fine and then hit and then hit it and then hit a, a boss right after. So fine, I wanna, boss. I want to fine then boss. Ooh, that's mean. Do it again.
1: that's beautiful and you and you know the thing about it is is you can get all in between that you know there's not a specific sound for that you just know that fine hands a little bit tighter a little bit faster and then going up to to the boss hand it starts to slowly go down you start to slow down your actual error presentation And then, you know, you're gonna get a little bit deeper tone or a little more raspy. A raspy hand, A lot of people know how to blow a raspy hand. It's getting that boss hand and that coarse hand that a lot of people can't get. Anybody can flutter a call. What I call fluttering a call is get into it and put voice into (laughs) like that. (laughs) There's just too much rasp. There's no voice it is grunting, okay? But to get that fine line, if you're pushing those transitions out. Pushing that call and letting it give back to you. Pushing, letting it give back to you. That's awesome. And when you do that, you can extend your notes out. When you're blowing the right way, if a call is tuned perfectly, when you blow and you blow the right way, you should be able to extend your notes completely out on a cadence.
0: makes total sense See how far i went yeah
1: because i know i'm controlling
0: my controlling. air it's just like singing
1: i'm yep. thinking
0: of and i always refer to axel rose but if you think of like sweet child of mine I, 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 yeah. and he's just hitting because he's in yeah. he's in the zone and he's controlling his air yep. he's using his diaphragm he's using his lungs he's using his larynx he's not puffing his cheeks Yep. you don't want to puff your cheeks ah! you don't do that A singers the same way They're controlling their breath. They're controlling their cadences. They're controlling their tone and their pitch, when to cut it off, when to start it. And that's what you're doing. You could stay in that zone all day. Right. How many breaths can you blow on one, or how many notes can you hit on one breath? Well, a good duck caller and a good goose caller start to breathe in and out of of this. It becomes a beat. Oh, yeah. So you're sneaking air in all the time. So it sounds like you're blowing a whole bunch of notes on one breath, but you're not. A singer's doing the same thing. He's picking where he's getting that breath because you can't just keep going and not get air into your lungs. Your air lungs have to, they're supplying that power and that momentum behind that voice, those lyrics. So they got to pick when to the, that's perfect time to get a little breath in. Then it's just short. Yeah. She's got a smile that it seems. And then boom, and then you're on to the next one. You just get a quick breath in. <laughs> And you just get sneak a little breath here and a little breath there and you get it in there and that probably wasn't the best rendition of it but you find the, the timing and the placement of where you want to get that breath and you don't have to go <gasps> when you're in that zone and you're relaxed you know when to get that breath and you keep your cadences going and it sounds like a continuous conversation between those ducks on the water telling those ducks in the air what's the deal? You coming yeah. in? You want to eat here? You want to play? Are you in heat? What's going on? Are we talking? Are we going to do this or what? Think about that. That's There's a conversation going on there. They're getting in a race. They're hunting these ducks up on the water, and you're sounding as natural as you possibly can when right. you're nowhere near a duck. Right. We're way smarter than a duck. We're trying to trick a bird with a brain that big, and we freaking lose our you-know-what over it, our marbles <laughs> over it, frustrated as heck, throw our hat, and ah, what the hell happened? Quit blowing the call so much. Right. Try. Yeah. Get out of the shadows, like you. You're on. We gotta go switch trees and stuff. We're well, that's here. what Tim Hunter did. The do. dark side of the moon and all the stuff that you say. You're weird. Y'all are weird <laughs> down there about it. But duck hunters are, man. They get so weird about yeah, stuff. they Skiers, do. Skiers, they just get on the mountain and shred. I know. Right? I keep referring to skiing because that's what anybody they, can around ski. here. People ski. We got some of the best skiing in the world here. Not anybody. Can. I know, but, but I don't even, even do it. But
1: that's, that was direct you, towards but Tom. But you think
0: about surfers. You think about rodeo guys. You think about cowboy. Those guys are passionate about what they do. And yeah. they're weird about it, too. They got all those little things like bull riders. You watch the PBR. They're always doing the same stuff. They're very superstitious. I am, too, man. I want to relax. and I'm having fun out there. But, man, they control our world. And when you hear somebody that can master a call like that, like Kenny G on the sax or, man, what's the big time trumpet player's name when he would freaking. When he would oh, call, I know uh, who
1: you're talking I about. can't think
0: of his name. But there's instrumentalists that you just are like. You, you watch Zach Brown or Stevie Ray Vaughan on a guitar. You watch Neil Peart from Rush or somebody that's really known for being a good drummer beat the sticks. You're just like, I want to do that when I grow up. I really want to do that. And when you watch you blow a duck call and you can go from fine to coarse to raspy to boss. And then you go from boss to raspy to coarse to fine and just up and down that ladder and back and forth. And then change it up during the hunt where it's like. Rah, 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 rah. Those ducks in the air have no choice but to go. Holy smokes. Those are ducks down raft. there. That's a raft. It's a raft of ducks. I'm hearing them click the water. I'm hearing them slap the trees. I'm hearing their wings. They're swimming around. Ducks are never stirring around or never sitting still. That's why the, you know, the look of the water when you're hunting in different applications is so important. Muddied up, because they're always kicking their feet even when they're sleeping with their head back tucked in their wing. they got to stay balanced in their equilibrium. They're kicking their feet. They're stirring up sediments or they're bobbing their head under the feet or they're swimming around and flapping their wings. Everything's being stirred up. So when they do get below those trees and timber, I often ask myself, does it really matter in timber? Do we need a jerk string? Yes, you do. Because the more educated they get, and it gets to be late November, December, January, all the leaves are off the tree. Yes, your hide becomes way more important. Judging the sun, staying on the dark side of the tree, making the water move, having a jerk string, making ripples, making that chocolate. Run your dog out there and let them kick up the sediments and get it chalk. Choc- because once they get below where they can't see it, now they're looking for anything that's fake. You already did your work as a duck caller and got them to break down. You got their attention. They're in a race. Now it's up to you whether or not you're going to allow them to pick you apart. Stay hidden. Sound quiet and you know, confident on those calls as the closer they get on your low end. Shake the water a little bit. Muddy it up. Hide your dog. Hide yourself. And that's it all goes together. And you're like, man, we just finished 300 mallards at 15 feet in this hole that we watched water run into from the flooded river, the river over its banks, man-made wells. We're pumping water into it. Whatever it is, it was dry a month ago, and we just lit 300 mallard ducks there that came from way up in northern Saskatchewan, above northern Saskatchewan in the tundra on their breeding grounds, and traveled the entire Mississippi flyway all the way down the Mississippi River and went uh, across states and, and duck blinds and decoy spreads all the way from the Dakotas to Iowa to you know, parts of Kansas and parts of Oklahoma or parts of Missouri and parts of, of uh, you know, that part of Iowa and then Missouri, and then you got Mississippi and you got Arkansas and all of those states right there. That whole Mississippi flyway, where it's the number one flyway in the country for mallard ducks. They've seen it all they've done, well. they get to Arkansas on the trees and the jargon call they hear, and you look real, sound real, hide legit, legitimately, and you light 300 mallards at your feet. So, and then you sit there and go, get him, which is jargon. Send the dog, Rufus, jargon. Nobody really says their dog's name like that unless they're calling them to come. We say their name to send them after a dead duck. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you put all of that together, and you are the mastermind behind the design. We've come up with this name that we've been sitting on forever. We have it federally trademarked and registered. We got duck season right around the corner, starting in 60 days in Canada and some parts of the country for blue blue winged teal season. What a better lifestyle. What a better lifestyle. And we're gonna eat wild duck tonight off of the Traeger. Is there anything better? There's nothing. Are you proud of these calls?
1: I'm absolutely proud of these calls. Am I a
0: good duck call operator? Absolutely. On a scale from one to two, how good am I? One to two. Did <laughs> I <laughs> just hit you? All right, buddy, good job. Proud to be a right, partner. Man. Thank you. Let's go find some ducks. All right, All right, man. Today's episode, guys, again, was brought to you by the 2019 North American Whitetail Championships. Jargon game calls. And Mojo Outdoors. Thank you all so much to all of our partners. Thank you so much to all of our sponsors and everybody that listens to this podcast, watches The Foul Life. Check us out at TheFoulLife.com, ThisLifeAin'tForEverybody.com, JargonGameCalls.com, Banded.com, and AveryOutdoors.com. We're humbled by the success of the brands. Thank you guys so much for the support over the years. We have a lot more exciting things coming down the pipeline, so pay attention. New episodes of The Foul Life are airing right now on The Outdoor Channel. Check us out this week week as we are up in Canada with Buck Paradise Outfitters and Mr. Grant Kuypers and Barkley Fisher getting on those mallard ducks and those lesser Canada geese as they start their journey southward. So we go north, they're headed south, we meet them in the middle, Saskatchewan, Canada, The Fowl Life, season 11, exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. Thank you all so much for listening to this. Tom, if you'll do me a favor after I hit this little jargon small talk a little bit, play that song by Leith Lofton. what you going to do when the money's all gone. (coughs)
1: owners won't last that long, what you gonna do when the money's all gone?